This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Thursday, October 5th. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Gavin McGough. In today's headlines, Mountain Village approves new hotel development. Public responds to East End Master Plan. Drink in the season at Oktoberfest. And a mountain weather forecast. A new hotel has been approved in Mountain Village. Mountain Village Town Council approved the hotel development in a 4-3 to three vote last month. The hotel will sit on a lot just under one acre of land next to the Sharana and Westmere buildings on Mountain Village Boulevard. The project plans for 50 hotel rooms, 20 condos, and 31 lodge units. The development also plans for 18 dorm-style employee housing units with two employee apartments. There would be retail, fine dining, a bar, a market, and a conference center wedding space. Luxury hotel brand Six Senses has shared their intent to operate the hotel. Mountain Village Town Council has been discussing the project for over a year. In that time, there have been a number of contentious conversations between town staff, town council, and developers, with concerns regarding mass and scale, parking, trash, snowmelt, and public benefits. In August, Town Council approved the hotel on first reading. Since then, developers have further clarified questions from Council. Here's Amy Ward, Community Development Director for Mountain Village. The first is the commitment to operate 365 days a year. This is now incorporated into Section 2.4 of the Hotel Covenant. Um, The second is the commitment as to the number of restaurants being provided. The Hotel Covenant does commit to providing two restaurants within the project. Um, It should be noted that they they do um, have the ability to share a kitchen as well as a shared kitchen for any hotel room service being provided. The access to spa amenities has been further clarified within the Hotel Covenant. Um, This will be made available to the general public. During the hearing, Avni Patel, with the development team, shared her appreciation for all the work town staff and council have put into the project. You've heard this from me before, but I really do want to thank you all for taking all the time over the past year um, with this project. And we really hope you feel that we have heard you and, and taken every consideration and put it in there from the last hearing when you approved us in the first reading. When considering approval or denial, town staff have urged council to consider how the hotel will fit into Mountain Village, both physically on the lot and within the ethos of the community. During public comment, members of the community came down on both sides of the issue, but the vast majority was in support, including Ron Allred. I know you all have spent a lot of time on this uh, project, and I appreciate that, but I started thinking about it 50 years ago, (laughs) and I didn't know what the name of it was going to be, but I knew we had to have a big hotel with all the amenities to really be successful in the way I wanted the Mountain Village to be. and. Then all of a sudden, the years go by, and then finally, here we got a company that can really make it happen. Patrick Latcham, a Mountain Village resident and vice president of sales and marketing at Telski, is also in support. I wanted to voice my support for this project and, and the process thus far. You know, here we are today with no variance on height. There's more employee units, and there's less hotbeds in there. And... 
that's the result of collaboration and everyone working together. And I think that's, um, that really shows in where we are today. And it's, um, it's something that I'm certainly supportive of. But Winston Kelly has concerns and doesn't want to see the hotel built. We see this project and this developer as a public nuisance, and we will fight to never allow this project to happen. We will not tolerate losing the integrity of this community, which is greater than any single project. It is easier to take back a no than it will be to take back a yes. Please do your job, Council, and protect this community and its integrity. Deny this application while you still have that opportunity. Thank you. Mountain Village Town Council remains split. Council member Scott Pearson voted against the project on first reading. Despite the, um, the progress made on the hotel covenants, it's, it's my view that the public benefits don't outweigh the impacts, particularly the height impact. Um, and I think that the employee impact, despite the, cons- the significant on-site housing, is going to be very large and it comes at a time when we're struggling to address the very great deficit that we already have. Um, neither of those points have changed for me since the first vote, and so um, this vote for me will be the same. The remaining council members also stood fast in their previous votes, and the Six Senses hotel development passed four to three, with Mayor Marty Prohaska and council members Patrick Barry, Jack Gilbride, and Tucker Magid voting in support. Pearson and fellow council members Pete Dupre and Harvey Mogensen voted against. Following a round of applause from members of the public, and despite voting in support, Prohaska cautioned developers on premature celebration. I'm not um, quite ready to congratulate the applicants yet because you have a lot of work to do. (laughs) Um, Not just in building this, but in rebuilding some relationships and regaining the trust of the community. And I'm putting my faith in you, and I hope that you can... um, return the favor. Absolutely. There is no current timeline for construction on the Six Senses Hotel development. Right now with the PUD process, that's five steps. Um, to develop, For anyone who likes maps, sticker boards, and quiet conversation, it was a good day to stop by the program room of the Wilkinson Library in Telluride. The San Miguel County Planning Department is holding an open house to gather public input on its latest draft of the new East End Master Plan. The 150-page planning document was built up from nearly a year of information gathering from the community and work sessions held by the County Planning and Zoning Commission. And the result? A master plan is a visionary document that thinks about the future 10, 20, 30 years down the road, but it's not official zoning changes. It's merely um, a way to think about the future. That's County Commissioner Lance Waring, who serves on the plan's steering committee. But the commissioners don't actually oversee the planning process. That duty belongs to the Planning and Zoning Commission. Waring is here today largely to observe and listen. What has he heard so far? Within the document, there's been a tension exposed in the community between the need for wild and open spaces and the need for housing. And while we don't know exactly 
how to create wild housing seems to be what we want. Although Waring makes a statement with a sense of humor, the tension he identifies between development and preservation is certainly in the air. Shelley Duplan, who is the director of operations for the Aldosoro Ranch Homeowners Association, which is located on Deep Creek Mesa in the county's east end, showed up to speak with the county planning staff. There are some concerns about environmental um, housing, um, community housing being one of them, and you know what our carrying capacity is for the region, and whether or not we um, can just put a opportunity for community housing in every part of this east end. That phrase, community housing, is sprinkled throughout the plan and is a zoning district specifically for, according to the county land use code, quote, high-density clustered housing for people who live and work within San Miguel County, unquote. Public input throughout the planning process has emphasized a desire for more housing opportunities. But others, such as Duplan, feel the region might not be ready for more homes. And there is just no way um, to determine carrying capacity, you know, without having some sort of detailed environmental study or detailed wildlife study or, you know, the biggest one of, in my opinion, that's of concern is water. Telluride resident Mark Frolic voices a similar concern. I feel that um, county and town government has been really pro-development, and I'd really like to be a proponent of supporting things to maintain our community and support the values of community sustainability, modesty, and humility. While the plan does discuss areas where more development, such as community housing, might be appropriate, the plan does not change zoning in and of itself. That is a separate county process. Throughout the day, roughly 80 people filter through the program room, asking questions and taking a cookie for the road. Most folks declined to speak with me, citing a head cold, a meeting to get to, or the general sensitivity of the topic. But reflections posted on sticky notes thanked the county to planning department for their work and added thoughts to the ongoing process. Reflecting on the event in an email, County Planning Director Kay Simonson said the county appreciated the input and, quote, hopes everyone will stay involved through the adoption process, unquote. The Planning Commission will hold a work session open to the public on October 25th. No date is set for final adoption. When Stronghouse Brew Pub and Telluride Arts held Telluride's first Oktoberfest, it was the thick of COVID, and the community turned out in the open air to quaff beers and listen to music. Last year, the event in its second rendition grew, with locals packing into the transfer warehouse. Austin Halpern recalls there were probably over 300 people there for Oktoberfest. And uh, we just want to build off of that. So we, um, with the warehouse moving under construction, we are uh, transitioning uh, Oktoberfest to Town Park. So uh, this weekend on Saturday, it'll be under the bra and the oval field. Halpern is the program director for Telluride Arts and promises another bash this weekend. From 2 to 7 p.m., the event will feature local breweries offering contests and tastings, circus performers, and Telluride's very own German polka band. And for the first time ever, there's a beer fun run. It's going to be a 5K starting at 
TBC in Lawson. It also starts at 2 p.m. Um, that way, you know, we've got some fast runners in Telluride. I'm sure they will be in Town Park fairly quickly and the events will already be underway. The expanded offerings have been enabled in part by a grant from the Telluride Tourism Board. Halpern feels the event is the perfect opportunity to savor this moment of autumn while Telluride leans towards off-season. I think we nailed timing for uh, some perfect uh, fall color in Town Park this year, Um, so it's going to be a beautiful event. It's inherently a very local event, primarily local performers, uh, local breweries, and and it's an an event that's uh, for everyone, but really also a celebration for the community. Telluride Arts holds its final art walk of the summer this week, and after Oktoberfest, its programming will slowly wind down. Reflecting on the season, Halpern says, It's been really fun um, to kind of expand our horizons outside of uh, the warehouse while we're uh, moving under construction here, and the space is closed right now. For those wishing to attend, Halpern's advice is pretty simple. Just show up. Dress dress warm, dress appropriate for the weather. It's going to be a beautiful afternoon. It uh, looks like about 55 and sunny in Town Park with some perfect fall leaves. Oktoberfest takes place Saturday, October 7th in Town Park from 2 to 7 p.m. Those interested in the beer run are encouraged to sign up ahead of time at telluridearts.org. For those taking a more leisurely route to the festival, no RSVP is required. EcoAction Partners wants your old electronics. The environmental group, in partnership with San Miguel County and a handful of other area organizations, is holding an electronics recycling event on Friday, October 6th and Saturday the 7th. Volunteers will be accepting old electronics at locations across the county. They'll be at the Gondola parking lot in Mountain Village on the 6th and in Norwood at the fairgrounds on the 7th. Collections in Telluride will be available both days at the Carhenge parking lot. All events take place from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. The days are getting shorter, with dark skies inching further into the morning and evening. This October, the Colorado Department of Transportation is recognizing Pedestrian Safety Month and urging all roadway users to drive, walk, and ride with care. According to CDOT, October through December historically have the most pedestrian fatalities in Colorado, largely due to the shorter days and longer nights. Colorado is on track this year to reach an all-time high for pedestrian fatalities. The stakes are high, but the solutions are simple. CDOT reminds pedestrians to walk on sidewalks, cross streets at crosswalks or intersections, stay off your phone while crossing the street, look both ways for cars, and watch out for vehicles entering or exiting driveways and parking lots. For drivers, CDOT emphasizes looking out for pedestrians and bicyclists everywhere at all times. Follow the speed limit, stop before a crosswalk, not in it, never drive impaired, and reduce your speed and make sure your headlights are on at night. As of September 30th, there have been 87 pedestrian fatalities in Colorado this year. Washington has been in turmoil since Tuesday when representatives in the House voted to oust Republican Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. 
They did so with the help of Colorado's congressional delegation. All of Colorado's Democratic representatives voted for his removal. Republican Congressman Ken Buck also voted to remove McCarthy from the speakership, one of only eight Republican representatives to do so. Buck spoke on MSNBC this week. He promised he would hold a vote on an impeachment inquiry, and then he announced an impeachment inquiry. Uh, he cannot be trusted. Buck also said McCarthy didn't keep his promises during negotiations over the debt ceiling earlier this year and over government spending last week. Colorado's other two Republican representatives, Lauren Boebert and Doug Lamborn, voted against removing McCarthy. A Colorado water management agency is getting a new leader. As KUNC's Alex Hager reports, Becky Mitchell has been appointed to run the state's Interbasin Compact Committee. The committee was created in 2005 to advise the state on water plans. It brings together farmers, ranchers, recreators, and policy experts from every corner of Colorado. Mitchell already serves as the state's main negotiator for Colorado River issues. In a written statement, she said the appointment is an important link to help her better represent Colorado on a larger stage. She's working with seven states from Wyoming to California as policymakers try to figure out how the Colorado River will be shared in the future. In her new position on the state committee, Mitchell takes over for Dan Gibbs, who runs the state's Department of Natural Resources. I'm Alex Hager. As the rangelands of this region change with the warming climate, some ranchers are beginning to realize maybe their breeds of cattle need to change too. For Rocky Mountain Community Radio, KCMU's Emily Arnson reports about one ranch in southeastern Utah that's experimenting with a heritage breed of desert cows. Three years ago, Dugout Ranch in San Juan County partnered with researchers to study whether a breed of cattle called Raramari Criollo might do better than their Red Angus. The Criollo have lived in the Chihuahuan Desert for over 500 years and are adapted to the arid climate. Red Angus, on the other hand, come from the lush, grassy pastures of England. Now, preliminary research from the Hornada Experimental Range shows the Criollo might be more affordable to raise and more sustainable than the popular Red Angus. So the idea is that they have a wider diet breadth. They choose more diverse options. This is Sherry Spiegel from the Hornada Experimental Range. Her work looks at everything from the efficiency of an animal on the range to its marketability once it hits grocery stores. The preliminary data is that the Criollo, when given the same choice as the Angus, the Criollo ate more forbs or wildflowers than than the Angus did. They're hoping the Criollo will eat shrubs and larger forage as grass becomes more scarce in the face of drought. We can look at the DNA of what is coming out of the cattle in order to see what plants were going into the going into the cattle. This is Kari Veblen, professor at Utah State University in the Department of Wildland Resources. She's also a partner on this project with the Nature Conservancy and Dugout Ranch. The herd at Dugout Ranch is a mix of Red Angus, Criollo, and a hybrid of the two. Researchers want to know which plants each breed prefers to eat. This means they have to work with a lot of poop. And to make sure they know which poop comes from which cow, they have to get it straight from the source. So in order to, to collect these samples, you do what's called a grab sample, which means you put on a glove and you retrieve it directly from the animal. Another part of their research is looking at how far the different breeds of cattle will travel to find food. Trying to answer this question of, so do they go farther from water? Um, and 
Uh, you know, are they more rugged? You know, are they able to you know, venture into more difficult terrain in order to find the food they need? And so uh, the main way that we've been doing this is uh, using GPS-enabled collars. We are actually seeing that during some seasons, the Criollo do indeed seem to be traveling a bit farther. Is that a positive or a mm. negative in terms of like yeah. the footprint that the animal has on the land? Yeah, it's such a good question. Yes, yeah, so you get a larger footprint on the land and potentially fewer visits to sensitive points like watering points or really um, delicious patches of grass that might be more sensitive soil. So you, that is a potential benefit to soil health and, and, and biodiversity. But then on the flip side, you might be displacing some wildlife that's farther out in the, in the pasture that wouldn't be encountered, that other breeds might not encounter. And then questions about biocrust, which are super important around here for biotic integrity. Spiegel is also looking at the financial trade-offs for ranchers. And what we found in preliminary studies is that costs are overall less because they're feeding less supplemental feed. So again, with rangelands being so variable and the rain coming and going and sometimes drought years, a lot of times ranchers need to supplement with hay or, you know, alfalfa cubes and, and protein. And because they're not getting enough nutrition from just the rangeland alone. So what we're finding is with the criollo, there's less of, you need less supplemental feed, which can be a huge cost for ranchers. They're also looking at whether people will want to buy Criollo steaks. We just are finishing up a willingness to pay study. They did a survey starting with 2,000 people across the country and then whittled it down to a smaller number of people who actually got Criollo steaks and were able to grass finish steaks, were able to cook them and taste them. Overall, the the, the results show that consumers are willingness, willing to pay 4.85 more per per pound for Criollo grass-finished beef than for conventional, a conventional counterpart. Another study is measuring how Criollo steaks taste compared to Red Angus. You kind of look for these different notes. So some, one of them might be umami flavor. One of them is more like a grassy flavor. There's like metallic taste. Um, all the beef in that study, none of them hit the really yucky stuff. And then the grass-finished stuff was kind of more in that realm of like, what American consumers consider delicious. Um, so that was some, so it was good. So there were, people liked it. I don't know if the typical consumer, I've never tasted it, but I'm just guessing that maybe the typical consumer wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a Criollo and a Red Angus steak. And so is a selling point the fact that there's a lower impact? Is that something that is like helping sales, could help sales? That's definitely part of the marketing strategy for, we. there's a handful of uh, producers who do grass finish, who grass finish Criollo and market it more in like niche market settings, either at the farmer's market or really local supermarkets. And there's certainly a narrative of like the provenance of the genetics and a lighter footprint on the land. And that's what the that's what the consumers go for. But then the repeat customers I've heard come back because they like the flavor. The breed of Raramari Criollo at Dugout Ranch share genetics with other types of cattle that already exist in the U.S., like Texas Longhorn. The Raramari Criollo also have horns, though they're much smaller than Longhorns. Texas Longhorn are kind of already established in yes. like the food market or not really. I mean, they're definitely a storied breed, but yeah, there's not full market saturation. Texas Longhorns are an iconic breed, but they're not super popular for steaks. Their horns make them hard to slaughter, 
When it comes to the criollo, Spiegel and her coworkers are looking at ways to minimize the size of their horns. The reason that we look more at crossbred criollo and Angus calves is because they come out looking more like an Angus, mostly black and with fewer horns so they can go into the conventional channels of like beef auction and then through feedlot. A lot of the industry is geared toward getting cattle that can get fed on grain and then to the to the slaughterhouse and be processed in a relatively short duration of time. And they actually process quite a few animals each hour. And so when you have really large horns, which Criollo also have horns, your your number your timing slows down. So you can, you have to make new processing plants, more regional ones that are more um, geared toward different body size and shape and horns. And then when we're talking about sort of wanting to incorporate a more desert adapted animal into this like food ecosystem, why not choose an animal that's already that already exists on North America like a bison? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Americans, they like their beef you know what I mean like this a lot of this is driven by consumer demand and a lot of the legacy of ranching is a really important cultural and economic part of you know the whole west with cattle ranching so we're coming at this from you know not necessarily changing consumer preference but really trying to meet that demand with a more sustainable choice for KZMU I'm Emily Arnson. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for mostly clear skies tonight with a low around 35 degrees. Friday should see sunny skies with a high in the mid-60s. Friday night expect clear skies with a low in the mid-30s. Saturday calls for sunny skies during the day and mostly clear skies at night. The high is around 65 degrees with a low near 40. This has been the news for Thursday, October 5th. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 970-728-3206.